Hey, you're listening to the Catalyst Church Podcast, here to incite change through Jesus. Check us out on social media, Catalyst Church NZ. Now, onto this week's message. It's such an honor for me and Livy to be here. My wife Liv and I, you know, somebody in our church came up to me one time and said, <laughs> which is a great opener, they said, um, you know, I was watching The Hobbit recently and I thought of you. And <laughs> which I get all the time. <laughs> but um, And he's like, I was thinking of you and Liv. There's a line that Gandalf said. He goes, what good can come from a dwarf and an elf getting together? Or something like this. And he's like, and I saw you guys and said, that's the good that can come from a, a dwarf and an elf. And uh, I was like, wow, thanks, man. Like, uh I don't know if he's walking with the Lord anymore, that guy, but <laughs> but um, anyway, it gave, me, it gave me a bit of language for the miracle that has been marrying my wife, Liv, for whom I was thinking I must have tall, beautiful children. So there was agendas at play. But um, like seriously, thank you guys so much for having me here today. And I've met some of you guys this morning and not everybody, but my name is Josh. And as I said, it is an honor for me to be here. And uh, I love... Like genuinely, we've been telling our kids all week, we're going to a different church this morning, this morning, this this Sunday, and been really excited about coming just because we love the body of Christ. Like we love, we love that we're all in this together. Yeah, and right. um, like for me, it's a huge honor. I'm, I, I would still consider myself a young guy um, to be here with you guys this morning. I'll share a little bit about what Liv and I are doing, which I think makes it even cooler as to why we're connected here this morning. But I wanted to start out by saying, like, it's cool to be connected to Andy and I'll be, she's right there. Liv um, knows Bianca from way back, I think, in the City Impact Church days, but I've kind of just getting to know them a little bit over the last couple of years, and, and that really touched my heart, what you said about um, that. I know you, you mentioned it this week, but I should have preached that message this morning. I don't know if you... I'll be happy, man. <laughs> <laughs> See if I can pull it up from the archives. But um, getting to know them over the last couple of years, Andy and Bianca have always struck me as very passionate people. I'm sure you guys know this. Passionate about the kingdom of God, passionate about people, passionate about young people and being all they can be and just like living lives for God. And and I just honor you guys as dedicated servants of Jesus. And uh, we just like, you know, whether this means anything to you or not, but from Liv and I, like we are so inspired by what you guys are doing. And I always get a little bit emotional, but but we just back you guys and we think it's flipping awesome, man. We like like what you guys are doing to just sacrificially of your lives give to build something for God. I know it's just been beating on your heart for years. Like it just comes out of you. And so honestly, we honor you guys and we thank you for what you will. Let's give, we thank you for what you guys are doing. And, and, um, and I know that you guys, you, well, you know, Andy, I, I met with you a little bit more than with Bianca, although I wish I'm Bianca and you'd cut my hair a few years ago and told me what to do. Maybe I wouldn't have lost so much of my hair, but I said, Andy, can I wear a hat this morning? Cause I'm a bit self-conscious, but anyway, but then there's a few guys here that I wouldn't have felt, I wouldn't have felt alone. So, <laughs> yeah, oh, come out this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Andy, Andy shut up, man. Get the, the favor of God on his life in that way. I'm like short, a bit overweight, losing my hair. I'm like, God, give me something. <laughs> he gave me a beautiful wife. <laughs> yeah all right yeah thanks for that um but andy i think like you're such an encourager and pastor joe and i he's our lead pastor at city impact we often joke about and i hope this is all right but we joke about how the time that you guys spent at our church like we'd always know where andy was sitting because we would hear he's always the first to encourage the preacher be like you hear this yeah and then you know <laughs> oh there he is he's up i'm like that was andy where's he at yeah and uh, I always, now that you guys are doing Catalyst, I'm in the church, always plonk myself somewhere like, yeah, just to, just to keep that going for you, you know. But you have, um, you have, <laughs> you have like a personal gift of encouragement as well, for which I'm thankful for. So, so introducing um, Liv and I, but we're pastors at City Impact and we have three kids that we've brought with us this morning. And uh, I have kind of like a background in film and television, media and stuff like this. Liv has a background in pastoring youth pastoring and um, teaching and corporate banking, actually, which was nice for a time. And uh, 
and uh, allowed us to save for a home when she was a corporate banker. But now we, we both have kind of various roles in, in the church. And we're very blessed to be, well, I feel very blessed to be working alongside my wife um, in full-time ministry at City Impact. But what I think is cool and why I, what I'm moving toward is um, the privilege of us being here this morning is that, bit of background, since COVID at City Impact, Liv and I really saw an opportunity to outreach, to use kind of online as a tool more than just streaming a service like some churches were doing and we were trying to do it but we weren't doing it very well um to see it as an as an evangelism as an outreach tool to win more people you know the kind of the whole world went online and we were like okay and so since then you know how like sometimes good things can come out of crazy times right so that's really in a way Liv and i have squeezed ourselves into this role of i would like to think pioneering um this new uh, outreach for our church because what we have seen is that it's evolved from just online to, to actually getting people together in small homes. I was just talking with Pastor Scott about <clears throat> small homes across New Zealand, um, small towns meeting in homes, and, uh, and we, call, we call them gatherings, and uh, might start calling them pop-up churches to steal some stuff from you guys. But, um, <laughs> but uh, And I want to share this almost as like, uh, actually, when we were singing that song just now, Lord Send Revival, I mean, you could sense the Holy Spirit, I could too. And it was like, um, if you wouldn't mind, almost in a prophetic way, our pastor, our founding pastor, Bev Mortlock, shared this a few years ago. And I feel like to share it this morning. And that was that New Zealand is going to see a revival. And she saw it as little fires in homes up and down the country. Yeah. And when she said that, we, she and, and probably no one at the time had any idea what that would mean. And Liv and I have really attached what we're doing now as in like we're working out that prophetic word up and down the country that revival will start in homes, small fires, not just big fires in big cities, but small fires in homes and it will grow to wildfire and reach this nation for Jesus. And as we were praying that this morning, you know, Lord send revival, Lord send it down, a move of your spirit. I wanted to encourage you guys that you guys are a part of that. And uh, small fires in homes. And like I already heard Pastor Bianca saying, you know, we want to spread out into other homes. And that's how we're going to grow. Like we're not waiting for the big thing. We're just going because God's going to move in homes. And I really feel the significance of that. And so we are pulling together people in towns and cities because we sort of thought it's not just good enough for somebody to connect with us on their laptop. Like, let's get people together because we're better together, right? And so it was starting in homes and, and in community halls. We're kind of trying to work out a bit of a strategy as we go. But it's honestly, we feel privileged to be sort of trying to pioneer something. And and uh, it's sort of on the front of that for God, you know. And so we're kind of focusing right now on Hamilton and Christchurch, which aren't small towns, I know. But you kind of got to start with the people that God's brought, right? And um, anyway, um, planting churches. And I say all that to say it's like we're kindred spirits. Yeah. And so that's why we feel pretty honored to be here today because New Zealand needs to be evangelized. Yeah, yeah, I think right. we, when we think as a church, we think missions and we think overseas. And I think we take for granted New Zealand as a Christian country, but it's not really. There are so many more people at the mall on Sundays on the North Shore than there are in churches, right? Yeah. And so I don't think we need to rest or can rest until there's a church on every street you know, and maybe that's in homes. And so I honor you guys for what you're doing. I had this guy, I was at the doctors the other day and he was saying, yeah, our church is, um, he said to me, he was almost apologizing. He said, yeah, we're actually moving to the North Shore, which he said is like the Bible belt of, of Auckland, <laughs> and, uh, which I thought was funny. And I said, don't apologize, man. I said, this, this is, you know, this is what the Great Commission is. Right. We've got to evangelize our nation yeah. and we've got to see churches on every street, good churches planted. And we've got to see in the big cities and in the small towns, we can't rest, right? Until people are saved, until people are set free and are experiencing the presence of God like we just experienced here in this home this morning. So we've got so much work to do together. And so we applaud what you guys are doing and we're super pumped for what God has in store for Catalyst. I love the term, by the way. I love this whole thing. I just read that and thought, that's it. That's what we're talking about right now. The revolution begins with you. That's beautiful. And so we've been pumped hearing all the updates. And as I said to Bianca, following your cool ass Instagram. Um, you guys have got some talent. It's, you know, it's cool. So we have you back. And we're hoping to glean as much from you guys today as hopefully we can be a blessing. So anyway, let's get into the word of God this morning. Is that all right? Yeah. Man. And I want to share something that I've recently been very challenged on. And I think so unfortunately for us all, it's, it, is, it is quite a challenging message. 
maybe a bit confronting, um, maybe a bit um, thought-provoking, but I hope that's all right. I think normally people that itinerant preachers probably like you, Scott, you save all your nicest messages for when you go. I'm just kidding. I'm sure you hit them with the truth, but back home, back home, they know me as like the funny preacher, but um, I said, maybe if Andy ever wants me to come back again, I'll be funny next time. But um, But we're in a very serious business, right? Planting churches is not just something Andy and Bianca are doing because they think it's cool or a better way to make money than the businesses they currently run. I'm sure that's not the case. Um, But because they have a burden and I would imagine a calling that they sense from God, I think they recognize and we all need to recognize we're in a war today, right? And there's a war between truth and lies in the culture. There's a war even between different versions of the truth now. Um, truth itself in, in the culture has become subjective and, and merely has become a word that we just throw around to justify how we want to live in 2022. And so what I have to speak on today is I believe something I would consider to be one of the basics of what it means to be and live as a Christian, Good. like a core fundamental. And yet Good, it stands so starkly against the way the world operates. But there's nothing better, amen, I'm sure you'd agree, than hearing the simple gospel <clears throat> and, and, and the way that it can radically or should radically change our lives and our lifestyles um, and the way we live, right? I was in church actually just last Sunday night and um, A-Lives, there was a guy who sat up the back at um, the back of our auditorium and I saw him up there and he was bawling his eyes out. He was like 30 years old. He looked pretty cool. Didn't look like the kind of guy normally to be crying. Um, <laughs> um, long hair, beard, and he was bawling his eyes out in worship, sitting by himself. And I went and sat with him and actually brought him down um, to the front a wee bit more. And, and he was saying <clears throat> that he'd come all the way down from Mangawai um, because he just felt that he needed to come to church and get God in his life. And in his words, the world's so effed up. <laughs> um, and, and he was so bombarded, he was saying, by these lies in the culture. Now, he would have said, he said to me that he's kind of got his own buzz going on with God. So he obviously believes in God but just felt like the world has gotten so... And honestly, he was dropping all these F-bombs in church. Like, I'm sitting next to him during the preaching. It was it was actually really refreshing. Yeah, yeah. All these people around me were looking like, you know, giving me eyes. And I was like, stop giving me eyes, you religious lot. Like, you know, this is this is why we have church, right? Like, like this is awesome. This guy here, like, F away, whatever you want to do, man. Be, be yourself. Like, you're here and that's what matters. And it was so cool. And uh, he was um, he was touched by God. Yeah. And I'm like, again, emotional. Like, this is why we do That's church, right? right? Um, because there are so many lies in the culture. Yeah. And I think I think people are waking up to it. Um, there are many that are obvious, but there are many that are sneaky. Um, that are sneaky, you know. And we don't realize they actually permeate the way that we think as Christians even, if we aren't careful, yeah, because we just believe them by osmosis because wow. of the culture we live in. Yeah. And unless we wake up to them per se and recognize that some of them have taken root in our hearts and the way that we live, then we're not aware that perhaps we're not as much in the kingdom as we thought we would be in terms of the way that we live. Because I think that as Christians, I don't think, I know because the Bible tells me so, that we're supposed to live differently to the world, yeah, right? right? We're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. And I find that in New Zealand, in the, in the generalized West, we're so good as Christians at blending in. Yeah. And um, more of that in a minute. But um, before we talk about this sort of particular lie I want to expose and attack today, I want to first set the platform and hinge the message on this chapter from Romans 12. One to three, you probably already heard <clears throat> this passage of scripture preached here at Catalyst, or if you've been around church for a while, you would have heard it before. But um, for context, Romans is the Apostle Paul writing. He's writing to a church he has never met yet. Kind of one of his life goals was to get to Rome, and it took him till very near the end of his ministry. So it's different to his other epistles because he doesn't really have specific things that he's kind of trying to address. He's writing to this church he's never met. And in a way, he pretty much downloads the entire gospel. And that's, I think, what makes Romans, people would call it like his masterpiece. He covers everything. And um, so let's, anyway, let's, we're only going to get into the first three or four verses of Romans 12, 1 to 3. I'm going to read from the NTE, 
which is the New Testament for everyone, written by N.T. Wright. So my dear family, this is my appeal to you. This is verse 1 of Romans 12. So my dear family, this is my appeal to you by the mercies of God. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and appropriate worship. Wow. What's more, don't let yourselves be squeezed into the shape dictated by the present age. Wow. Every line's like a wow in these um, verses. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can work out what God's will is, what is good, acceptable, and complete. Through the grace which was given to me, I have this to say to each one of you. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Right? Love the Bible. Always brings me back down to earth. Rather, think soberly in line with faith, the true standard God has marked out for each one of you. Amen. There is a standard God has marked out for us yeah, by yeah, which yeah. we need to live. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for just the opportunity to be here amongst brothers and sisters tonight and, and people that we look up to. We just thank you that we can be here. And our kids, Lord God, we love you. We love the church. Yeah. We just thank you for your presence. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, I pray that you'd open our hearts this morning to receive from your word and from your words, this wouldn't be me speaking, Lord, but it would be you speaking through me, Lord God. We yeah. give you the floor, Holy Spirit. Yeah. We give you the room to like perform circumcision of our hearts, cut off that which doesn't need to be there. Lord, open heart surgery in a way and help us to understand and see and wake up to the lies. Bring light to them, bring healing to them, yeah. bring truth. Pull out the weeds of the lies in our culture and help us, Lord God, to live for you. Live lives of worship, sacrificial lives that would be holy and pleasing to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Let's just go through that and then I'll kind of link it to what I'm talking about. So, so back to verse 1. So my dear family, this is my appeal to you by the mercies of God. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So this is quite a big idea, right? Um, a living sacrifice. It's almost a uh, contradiction in terms. Um, because what Paul is referring to here is obviously in the Old Testament, they would bring, um, the Jews would sacrifice animals, particular animals to God as, uh, you know, in terms to, to, to kind of cleanse their sin. And this was a, this was sort of a, a motif that God was setting up, which obviously he then sort of fulfilled with Christ on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice. And I think the Jews and the Gentiles at the time, the Jews were the, Obviously, the, the people of God, the Gentiles, were people from other religions or other cultures that were kind of being grafted in. They're like the unsaved people getting saved. And then you have the, the Jews also kind of getting saved to converting to Christianity. Big part of the book of Romans is actually uh, saying that Jews and Gentiles are on the same level, you know, and there are, you know, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, putting them on the same footing. And I think the questions from them would have been one of them would have been, all right, are we still supposed to offer sacrifices to God? Um, just as the Old Testament Jews yeah. did. And Paul's kind of like, well, yeah, actually. But not animal sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem, but rather we should offer ourselves, our bodies, as living sacrifices. And not just once a year on Yom Kippur or whatever, or once a month or whatever, but actually daily. And uh, more of this relational with communion with God daily, you know, in the vine, eh, Andy? Am I right? But what he's talking about is not just our physical bodies. People would be like, what, you want me to kill myself? No, no, no. But he's actually talking about our whole being, our, 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 um, our minds, our will, our souls, our emotions, our purposes. This is our self, like our idea of who we are. This so needs good. to die on the altar, Paul is saying. It's an intense visual. Our human nature, he's saying, our pride, our sin our rebellion, our carnal ambitions even, yeah. our selfishness. But but what's cool here is that with animals, obviously an animal just died and everybody went, thank God. But with us, it's not just death. There's this life that takes place as yeah. we, as ourselves die on the altar, this new life comes out and it's like a, it's like living, our spirits come awake and come alive and it's new life in Christ. Yeah. So it's this pretty cool new concept kind of, kind of borrowed from the Old Testament and then sort of perfected and gone, this is actually what all that has been leading towards is you guys living to God and laying yourselves down on the altar. So anyway, let's move on. It says, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and appropriate worship. Now, I think the cliche is that worship is just three songs or what we did four songs here. Wow, that's radical. Um, 
four songs at the start of a service and we go tick for worship. But yeah, the cliche, on, of course, is on. that, and it's true, yeah. that worship, gosh, I thought I was about to set on fire with that. That's cool. Is that a salt thing? Yeah. Can I lick that? Yeah. And it would be salty, right? Yeah, wow. That's nice. How often do you guys lick that? Because I just... <laughs> Daily! <laughs> Holy and pleasing to God. Ah, thank you, Jesus. Um, sorry, I get a bit distracted. But... um. Well, I told you it's a particular dark side, like, there obviously some, st- anyway. Um, worship is more than just singing songs, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, yes, that is worship, singing songs, but, but actual worship is giving adoration and honor to God and this idea yeah. of laying ourselves down as a sacrifice right. and living holy lives. This is real worship to God. And it, the Bible says it pleases Him when we live by faith, right? This is when we live lives of worship to Him, laying ourselves on the altar and therefore living by faith and carrying the, you know, Jesus said, carry your cross daily and live for me. This is worship. Goes on to say, what's more, don't let yourselves be squeezed into the shape dictated by the present age. I'm going to talk about that, um, you know, and make the, the main point there. So we'll come back to it. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can work out what God's will is, right? What is good, acceptable and complete. I love this phrase, the renewing of your mind, because it speaks not just to sort of or it speaks to your original design. The word renew implies a restoration, or like a renovation back to, you know, when you renovate a villa or something. Back to its original state, the way that it was intended. And uh, it doesn't say be transformed by the replacement of your mind. It's interesting that God's not saying you're going to get a new mind. He's actually, you're actually going to renew it back to the way that he created it and the way that it was intended for before the fall, right? So that's part of the amazing power of God to sort of undo all the stuff that our humanity and our culture that we live in has has sort of done to us and our decisions and our mistakes. He takes it back to the way that he actually designed us. It's beautiful. Going on, through the grace which was given to me, I have this to say to each one of you, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, right? Love that. Rather think soberly in line with faith, the true standard God has marked out for each one of you. So underpinning all that we're going to talk about this morning, we have to have humility right? And uh, this is obediently seeking after God and in everything. Otherwise, I think this whole endeavor of living for Christ becomes one quite easily of self-righteousness. You know, like, you know, the, the, the older we get in Christ, we can kind of look back and go, far out, I've been doing a pretty good job, you know, and go like, look at all, like, I'm pretty much saving myself at this point. And, uh, you know, there's nothing worse than a self-righteous Christian who looks down on others, and, uh, you know, looks at the person swearing in church and goes, oh, no, I'm just kidding. I shouldn't be that um, stink. But you know what I'm saying. And I think that this whole, like, I think this is reminding us that it's actually the Holy Spirit that's yeah. doing the work yeah. of restoration and renewal. And never, we can never get off thinking, man, man, I'm doing, I think we have to, I think it's Bill Johnson who says, you've got to stay on the edge of, as you grow, you never grow past being a child. You know, having that childlike faith. You never kind of, I'm an adult now and I've, I'm, I'm, I'm beyond learning. Wow. I'm, st- I'm always on the edge of, man, oh, yeah, wow, God, you, you, there's so much for me to learn. I think that's such a beautiful heart posture. But what I want to major on today is that we are challenged in the scripture to refuse to let the present age squeeze us into its mold. I love that language. Refuse to let it dictate to us how we should think and what we should think, right? Um, I want to just read the short excerpt before we move on from the study on this verse by N.T. Wright. He writes this, Christians are called to be counter-cultural, not in all respects as though every single aspect of human society and culture were automatically and completely bad, but at least in being prepared to think through each aspect of life. We must be ready to challenge those parts where the present age shouts or perhaps whispers seductively, that it would be easier and better to do things this way while the age to come insists that we must live this way instead. Right? So there are a lot of lies in the culture today. A lot of things trying to squeeze us into the shape dictated by this present age. Paul goes on, I think, in Galatians to call it the present evil age. Other translations use this phrase on the sort of the more famous part of uh, i think it was in verse two back there do not be conformed to the pattern of this world you might recognize it said like that and the world right is trying to conform us or squeeze us into or force us into its image 
make you one of its followers, but God has already formed you in his image. Amen. And so we need to fight back, particularly in our minds, to allow the word of God and Holy Spirit to transform our mindsets and our worldviews and our wills and our beliefs and our emotions and our thoughts back to the way God intended them to be. So there's this lie that I want to address today. And I think it's one of the biggest lies out there in the secularist culture. And it's this, and it's probably not what you're expecting, but it's that a life lived to satisfy self is what will bring you ultimate peace and joy and contentment. We read before, obviously, that the way to live for God is to essentially put ourselves on the altar. The way the world is telling us to live, it's either shouting at us or it's whispering seductively in our postmodern kind of Western secularist culture that we are in, which is an abandoned God, is telling us to live for self. It's telling us that you are the God of your own life. And the way to achieve ultimate nirvana, if you like, is to basically fulfill all the deepest, darkest desires that you have in your heart, follow them to the nth degree. And I would argue that one of that, that self is the highest so good, value in our Western culture, the highest value. So much so, like, and we've probably all got stories like this, but even in my own extended family, there are, there is a, you know, there's a situation, it's heartbreaking where there's, and there's kids involved in things where there's families and people have left covenant. You know, covenant used to be a high value in our culture. You know, our word, our signature, our, our, our commitments to one another. Now, that is not as high a value as self. This person has left their wife and kids to pursue what they believe is their true self and their true identity, living with people of the same sex. And, and the world applauds that in the culture today. Good for you. You're finding your true self. I hear Christians say that. And okay, 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 okay. But, but what about the family, the covenant, the this and that, that they left in the wake? Yeah. Because what's more important is to find out who I really am on the inside is more important than the commitment I made to these people. And we idolize this. We idolize self. Self is now the highest value. Do you see that? And it plays itself out in so many ways. I and I, my happiness, my peace, my choice are the most important thing in the universe. What's my truth? What's my identity? What's my inner peace and my true self? The seeking out the deepest desires in my heart. And the reason I say it's a lie is because the pursuit of individualism or a self-seeking life, in other words, you call it hedonism, living for yourself, it actually leaves you empty. The Bible talks about this. And so we have generations, I think, today of people falling for this lie living for self and not realizing, not waking up until it's kind of too late and it's left them high and dry. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, some psychologist back in the day, I don't know if you've heard of him, he theorized what all humans need for a full and satisfying life. Now, I don't agree with all of the theory in full, but basically he goes on like the bottom of the pyramid is like basic fundamentals like food, safety, security, a roof over our head, this kind of thing. These are the things that will give you a fulfilling life. The higher up you get into the small triangle on the top, you know, it's more existential things like self-actualization and feeling loved and all these kinds of things, right? And I think, and I'm going to make some generalizations here, so forgive me, but in the West, we are so on the top level. Um, <laughs> this looks like, don't take a photo of that, eh? The eye. <laughs> um, but kind of, you know, again, generalizations, but all our basic needs are met and we're just mucking around on the top in la-la land, inventing struggles. We're changing our genders. We're streaming Netflix. We're posting on TikTok. And we're just, we're not really reflecting as a culture what is true and what is right and what is holy. And in other, listen to this, listen to this um, um, quote. In other centuries, human beings wanted to be saved or improved or freed or educated. But in our century, they want to be entertained. How empty have we? And this is, do you know who wrote this quote? Actually, is the, it's the author of Jurassic Park, <laughs> Michael Crichton. Not, not a Christian or anything like that, but on, on, obviously, on the money. And I think as a generation, as the church, part of our job has to be to fight this emptiness wow. of the yeah. Western system. Yeah. So good. And go, thanks, Andy. That's what I'm talking about. Um, this lie that a particularly young people are under that is that is creating um, a sense of just zombiness and, and apathy and just this sort of 
we just sort of sit there and there's no purpose to my life. There's no meaning to my life. I'm just taking up space and I, I shouldn't even be taking up space because, you know, there's this kind of, we're telling kids that even their life is, a, you know, is negatively infecting the environment. They shouldn't have been born. There's your, your life has no value, you know, different to the animal kingdom. Like, you know, and, and, and we wonder when we took God out of the culture and we sort of told people that they're just a mistake. They're just the product of billions of years of, you know, this accident that happened back in the day. And you go make the most of your mistake life. Lucky you're here. And we wonder why kids have no value, have an, have an identity crisis in the world today. And I think that in, in general, the decadence we see in the West, you know, sort of even just this hustle of thinking that life is just to achieve and the success and the status. And I got to make the world platform and seeking after the desires of our heart and life is to um, live for pleasure. It doesn't compute to internal peace, right? We kind of know that somewhere deep down, and yet the world doesn't reflect it. We have in the West some of the highest anxiety-ridden societies, alcoholism rates, suicide rates, drug dependency, divorce rates, out of every civilization in history and the world today, yet we're the most educated, most literate, supposedly most civilized, most tech-advanced. Wow. So it doesn't matter what's going on on the outside. And if we've got a beautiful country and a nice home with Lockwood Wall, if what's going on on the inside is is lost and empty, right? And I think we're feeling lost and empty because, and I alluded to it just now, that I believe as a culture we've forgotten God in kind of this arrogance. Um, You know, Charles Darwin published Origin of the Species. It really set the world off on a on a different tangent or trajectory that's still with us. You've got the Enlightenment, you've got Nietzsche and others that said, he said in the 19th century, I think God is dead. And, you know, you got the Enlightenment movement, modern thought mixed in with a lot of uh, hedonism from different worldviews, from philosophers like Rousseau and humanistic worldviews like communism that were becoming popular because of Karl Marx. And um, humanity felt like we were evolving past our need for God. And almost the same arrogance where, you know, Lucifer in, the bio, in, the, in, in heaven ascended himself to the place of God. I think the danger underpinning all this is that as a culture, we think like, actually, we don't need God. We've evolved past God. Wow. We are the God of our own life. Yeah. And this is where we now are born in today. Let's not live in a historical vacuum. Let's understand how we got here. We've taken God out of the equation because we want to be God of the own life, our own lives. That's, I think wow. that's the culture we find ourselves in. And so it's a society obsessed with me, right? Not, not me, but, but you. <laughs> you are obsessed with yourself, obsessed with 2 Timothy 3, verse uh, one to four, uh, 3, 1 to 4 says, Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, bu- brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Wow. So we live in an age where self-empowerment is kind of the hallmark, right? Truth has become subjective as well. But here's the problem. In our searching for self-fulfillment, self can never be satisfied. It says in Proverbs 27, 20, just as death and destruction are never satisfied, so human desire is never satisfied. Jeremiah 17, 9 kind of takes it to another level. The heart is deceitful above all things. You know the scripture, um, Andy. Uh, is that right? And desperately wicked. Wow, the heart. It says, who can understand the, heart, the human heart? I, I think it's quite amazing that the Bible says the most wicked thing on this planet is inside you and me, like right now. It's not like, you know, it's not some institution or some race or some you know, culture or some idea or some whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's actually you and me and the heart that beats. And so this is why there's no way we're going to reach utopia without Christ. Yeah, that's right. Is even Adam and Eve in the Bible, they were given paradise and they screwed it up because they were there with hearts. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So true. humanity has no hope without Jesus Christ. That is right. True. We can't, yeah. no communism, socialism, no government, no even fixing world hunger, all these things we should do, but that's not going to fix the problem inside our heart. Right? The Bible warns us against living a life just following and exploring our own desires. It gets more intense. Listen to this. I love this though. This is why you should never listen to that advice that we all get all the time. Follow your heart. Yeah. (laughs) 
We even say it in church sometimes I notice, you know, God speaks to your heart. Just follow your heart. And then I get it. I get what we're saying because God's often, you know, when God speaks to you, kind of like, you kind of feel it here. You feel it in your gut, you know, and uh, that's kind of what we're saying. But this idea of follow your heart, actually, the Bible says don't do that because not only is it deceitful and corrupt and wicked, but also it will never be satisfied. Yeah. There's always more to crave. There's always another doorway to open. There's always someone that has more for you to be jealous of. Yeah, you know, there's yeah, always yeah. a darker sin to lust after. There's always, and I think what we find is that true peace that we're actually all after, unless we find it in Jesus, it's always just out of reach, you know? Um, you know, you go on holiday and you have a good time and you're like, I've cracked it. I'm, I'm at peace now. And then you come back to real life and it's like, damn it. Like I didn't, you know, we don't really crack it. Um, sorry. Uh, without, again, without Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, right? So living for self will never satisfy. We're a bottomless pit. And I think, you know, we get off thinking that we're, you know, we're pretty good, but we're not. You never reach contentment, satisfaction, peace in yourself. And this is one reason I believe Christianity is so counter to today's culture and a reason it is under attack spiritually, I believe, is because Jesus says to reach this true peace that everyone's after, to reach this nirvana, you actually have to die to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, it's not within you. <laughs> the world teaches that we just got to go in here. Yeah. Jesus teaches us to go out. Yeah. And that goes against the demonic spirit of the present age, which is taking away peace. It's taking away truth. The Bible says Jesus is the way, truth, and life. So when the culture yeah. today says there is no truth, that's an antichrist agenda. Yeah. That's why to stand up for Jesus and go, no, he is the truth. And that's why to say, actually, I'm not here to live for myself, mm-hmm. goes against the yeah. spirit of this present evil age yeah. and why we stand yeah. so yeah. counter yeah. To, to what the world teaches. And I think sure, that's man. underpinning a lot of things. That's why there's an attack against Christianity. Yeah. People might not be purposefully doing it. I think some are. But there's a spirit underneath it all that is attacking what Jesus tells us is the way to live. Well, and look at listen to this. The satanic mandate. You know that there is a religion called Satanism, right? Um, they have kind of like a satanic Bible. It's not kind of what you think. It's not all like we're all worship, we're all down on our knees worshiping Satan. It's actually the mandate by which this whole philosophy of Satanism and the Satanic Bible was written is this. This is what you'll find on the front page. Maybe you've got it at home. <laughs> it says this, Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. As in the key philosophy of Satanism is wrapped up in this. This is a line from the Satanic Bible. Satanism encourages its followers to indulge in their natural desires. Only, listen to this, only by doing so can you be a completely satisfied person with no frustrations, which can be harmful to yourself and others around you. Therefore, the most simplified description of the satanic belief is this, indulgence instead of abstinence. So when I say there's there's a spiritual thing underpinning, I think, the way the world operates today, it is that Satanism doesn't want you to worship some guy with red horns. It actually wants you to worship yourself. Following Satanism as a religion, which is kind of the whole thing is kind of, uh, you know, they're taking the pee. But at the same time, they're saying this is actually to to worship Satan is to worship yourself. Mm. Amazing, right? This is why Jesus stands as as a complete opposite and says the way to worship me is to die to yourself. The way to worship Satan is to live for yourself. It's that it's that obvious. And so part of the antidote to all this is I kind of bring it together and wrap it up, which helps, I think, to renew or renovate our minds is to live a life outside of self, right? And the best way to do this is to teach yourself to live a life of generosity, yeah. right? And before you think I'm here to talk about money, no, I'm not. Although money is part of this, absolutely. But it's bigger than that. It's a lifestyle of generosity with your time, your words, your encouragement, you know, your energy, your money, your relationships, your stuff. When the purpose of your life on this planet is to give and to serve others. You are living a life outside of self. This helps us discipline our minds and remember when those feelings come in to squeeze, to hold on to those sorts of, if I keep this, if I can hold on to this, my life will be fuller. It's a lie, right? 
Now, I'm not saying be stupid and work yourself into having to live on the street, but we know that the Bible says that it is better to give than to receive, right? But do we really believe that? Do we live that? I would say our carnal human nature is to hold on, to think of me first, to make ourselves God. But we can't let ourselves be squeezed into the shape dictated by the current age, right? What am I saying? Let go instead of holding on. Give instead of to get. This is, the, this is the lifestyle we've got to try and change. It's a radically different way to live. It's coming under a different kingdom. It's humility. Humility is putting others before myself, right? It's not just about giving money, but it is a lifestyle of serving others. Not thinking of yourself as too important to serve others. Not only is it the only way to eternal life, <laughs> the same principle, it says here, Matthew 16, 25, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. That's Jesus talking, right? It's not only the way to eternal life, but it's also the most fulfilling way to live this life on earth. And God knew that. Yeah. And I think the key here as well in that scripture is if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, those three words, for my sake, you will save it. So it's Christianity is more than just living altruistic lives, you know being good to other people, but Jesus is for my sake. Like there's got to be this for Jesus above it all, right? And that's what saves us, obviously. That gives us salvation. And it is the key, I believe, to break free of this poisonous drug addiction of self. Viktor Frankl says in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, that even in the concentration camps, it was the people that held onto a meaning and a purpose in life bigger than themselves who survived. Those that were out for themselves were often the ones that died, but those that were there serving others, you know, giving up some of their rations for others or whatever, or even those that held on to family or a religion or something, you know, that gave them, I need to get back, you know, I need to survive. It was those that had the strength to survive, not the ones that were just interestingly only thinking about their own survival. Interesting, right? So today we're not in concentration camps, thank the Lord, but we are spoiled for choice. Wow. with freedoms and pleasures yeah, yeah, yeah. so much so that we've coined this new phrase called choice anxiety we've come up with a new type of anxiety because in the west we have so many choices do you ever get that i get that all the time at mcdonald's do i get chicken or do i get beef you know um so i'm like i'll just get both that's how i beat my choice anxiety um but you know it's like do get netflix you know disney plus apple tv plus you know like there's so many options today there's yeah. 90 however many genders and we're worried why we're why we're so confused because now we have choice anxiety and um here's the thing wrapping it up in other countries they don't have as much of this freedom but we find with many people there's a purpose and a meaning to life that drives them so it's not about how much choice we have yeah. and how much luxury we live in right that gives our lives satisfaction. But it's the sense of, and we've lost this to some degree in the West. Other cultures today, they still do this so beautifully. The sense of community, doing life together, doing life with and for others, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. rather than this pursuit of me. And we, I went to India, I was privileged to go there in 2016 and film a bunch of uh, stories and, and be able to preach to some of the churches we are. Um, connected to it so the impact over there and uh there's some orphanages that we support and whatnot and um i got to play cricket with the kids in the orphanage there they smashed us as you can imagine they're just like cricket in india is like a religion um they're so good at it even at a young age and i'm not that bit sporty anyway but um the kids after church we walked down to this uh to this kind of cricket pitch to play and I think in New Zealand, we, we imagine, you know, going down to the local reserve and it's all green and beautiful. But there it was like outside some kind of state um, high school and it was, br- you know, brown dust on the floor. Like it's not, you know, check your New Zealand privilege. It wasn't like that at all. Um, it wasn't green. It was, we had, in fact, to get there, we, have, we had to step over open human sewage. And I'll never forget, there's this guy standing there um, selling fish. This is in a town called Kola Goldfields, which is um, nowhere near the ocean so they get a delivery of fish to the fishmongers on a monday and this was sunday and so you know do the math right this fish had been sitting there for seven days and this guy i think probably on purpose has plonked his little fish stall right on the human sewage line so that you can't smell the fish and i'm not joking there's like 
fly, like they're all cut in half, the guts are coming out, and there's flies buzzing around and whatnot. And you're like, oh, bless, who's going to buy these fish? But someone's buying them. But um, that's that was just kind of the scene to get there, you know, when we played cricket. Anyway, all this to say, I'll never forget the joy these kids had, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it genuinely changed my life. If I can, again, I know that sounds so cliche, but we had such a wonderful time. We gave them gifts and they were just little, um, little things of stationery with pens and a bit of paper. You should have seen their faces light up, you know? My kids, you know, at Christmas time, like, oh, this isn't what I wanted. And you're like, you know? And I've become, I've become that dad that's like, what about the kids in India? They, you know what I mean? Like, my parents used to say that to me, having never gone to India. Blimmin' hypocrites. I've actually been, and I'm like, yeah, actually, they were right. But, um, but anyway, all that to say, you know, my kids, you could say they have so much. These kids, they kind of had nothing, and yet their lives were so full. They wore it on their wow. face. We in our country, we have so much, and yet sometimes we can feel so empty, right? Yeah. And uh, so there's, there's something there. There's this imbalance there. I remember also meeting a gentleman in the WAPs who, again, open sewerage seems to be a thing there. Uh, they just don't have the utilities, right? But he was, he'd given his life. He'd left a big city and was living, running an orphanage for these kids, a different orphanage. And he shared his heart and tears in his eyes saying um, that he's living his dream. And I can remember being like, I mean, I've got like a pig over my nose kind of vibe, you know. And I'm thinking these, I was like, how is this someone's dream, you know? And yet he'd given up his life to serve these kids who have no other hope. And I was like struck by that. And then I also remember that everywhere we went in these small towns, there was idols big, big, hideous, like, you know, Hindu idols that were quite scary and ugly and it was sort of amalgamations of humans and animals and things like this. And like every hundred meters you drive, there'd be another big idol. In fact, in some of the churches we're connected with, there, the, the government, which is quite Hindu fundamental, actually go and erect Hindu idols inside the church grounds because they want the churches to worship and the, the Christians aren't allowed to get rid of it. They're quite persecuted there. Um you know, they don't like the cross. They just want their idols. It's like this war of who you're going to worship. And uh, I remember coming home from all that and being quite changed. And I remember this thought lingering. Thank God in New Zealand, we don't have all these idols. Like I remember thinking like, it's hideous. And I come home and you're like, this beautiful country, we don't have idols everywhere. That's one good thing. And then I, I realized in India, the idols are all kind of out there. And they're big and they're obvious and you could shundy bundy them away, you know, like it's almost like the war is in your face, right? It's easy to see. Yet here in New Zealand, we do have idols. They're just, they're hidden. Wow. They're hidden in our hearts. I came home and was struck that there are as many idols in the Western world as there are in India, but we hide them. Yeah, 100%. And and the biggest one of all is ourselves. Wow. You know? Yeah. And it's almost like, wow, in India, it's easier to be a Christian yeah. because you can stand out. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, man, this place is oppressed. And yet the Christians felt free. You know, you can yeah. see it on their face. Here in New Zealand, mm-hmm. we blend in so well. Mm-hmm. Do we stand out from our culture? Yeah. What is our culture? It's easy in India to remove yourself, divorce yourself from the prevailing culture and stand out and be in the world, but not of it. They still live in the same, you know, economic situation. And yet they, there's something of the spirit where they are free. Yeah. In New Zealand, we come under the culture so much more. And, and I think we need to check ourselves and go, man, how can I live out? How can I divorce my heart from the culture, from the lies that are telling me to live for self? How can I do this? Because there are, our, our, our idols are in our hearts and we have to recognize them before we can remove them, right? We have to recognize the lines, we have to, the lies, we have to renew our minds with truth. And so as I close this morning, I ask us all this question that underlines everything I'm trying to communicate. Do you want to find meaning in life and purpose and true liberality here in New Zealand in 2022? Yeah. Do we? Uh, here's the hard truth stop living for yourself 
again, this is how I'm just preaching what I heard God say to me. Limit your personal freedoms in this country and give to others. Give to something greater. Build, here's, here's this, build something together with other people. You know, take responsibility for other people. Take responsibility for, you know, in fact, I'll just say it. Let's get behind Pastors Andy and Bianca. If you feel like this church is your home and let's build something together for the glory of God. It's not about City Impact Church and Catalyst and and all these different names and banners. It's the church. Let's build it together. Let's work together. The only name that we should lift high is the name of Jesus. He's the one that connects all the dots, right? Let's give our time, our energy, and our money towards something that is eternal. Let's give. Let's be part of it. Let's, And it's not just about this as well, but wherever you are, let's help others around you. Be authentic in relationships. Be vulnerable and give of yourself to others rather than hiding behind walls. So let's take care of those in your world that need a helping hand rather than, oh, you've made a bad decision. Let's see how that works out for you. What the heck is wrong with us? Let's give to others. Right? Our pastor tries to say we're blessed to be a blessing. That's what we're here for, right? Don't hold on tight to things, including your own life. Let's live radically different to the secularist postmodern culture we're in, in the world, but not of it. Let's stand out. Amen. Let's build the church. Let's build each other up. Let's share the love of Christ with others and be generous sacrificially. What is generosity? Laying ourselves down on the altar and living for God, for my sake and for others, right? This is the this is mere Christianity. So whatever you want to call it, as Christians, we've got to keep coming back to this. We're called to live lifestyles outside of self. And we have to actually, the Bible talks about we have, we have to train ourselves to get there. It doesn't come naturally. We have to, through the reading of the word and through the power of the Holy Ghost, we have to train and renew our mind. Amen. Love to pray. Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity of being here this morning and, and, and speaking this 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 word that you you keep wrecking me with lately. Help us like in the big things and in the little things to remember that we're not here for ourselves. Life is a gift. We're not, you don't want us to not be like happy and enjoy life. That's not what we're saying. But we recognize that we're here to be a blessing to other people, to lay our lives down on the altar to carry the cross daily and to live for others. And the promise is that it's not just that we're doing, you know, not just being obedient for the sake of being obedient, although we should. If we love you, we should be being obedient, hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. But it's also the promises that this is the way that's going to bring us peace, satisfaction, fulfillment in life. We thank you that this is the, this is your design. This is the way you've designed us to live. It's better to give than to receive. Lord God, let us be open, generous with our money, with our time, with our energy, to build something together with other people that's greater than just our lives and ourselves. I pray for this church. Lord, I thank you for the future of Catalyst Church. I thank you that you've got a call, you've got a mission, Lord God. You've got a work to be done here and that we can't settle until these streets are evangelized until the houses are filled until the small fires that start in homes will spread like wildfire across this nation we prophesy it lord send revival lord like you've done before in certain moves across this country do it again lord god even as people have prophesied that some of the greatest moves of god will come out of this nation Lord, we thank you that we could be honored even just to be a part of it. Lord God, we, we lay our lives down on the altar this morning. We say, here I am. Send yeah. me, Lord God. Use me for your glory. Yes, Not so that we God. can reach the world platform just yeah. to get some sense of significance and, and feel like we've done a good job. But Lord God, to build your church and to make your name famous, Lord God. We are here to serve you and live for others, even when it's inconvenient. Oh man, it's often inconvenient, eh? Like living lives of death to self and living for God is often, it's always when it's inconvenient, eh? You know, if I can be a bit vulnerable here, I was having a vasectomy just recently just to wake everybody up. 
Yeah. Were you? Yeah. And uh, and I picked a place ages away that I figured no one would recognize. Like I wouldn't, didn't want to know anybody. Anyway, trippiest, <laughs> like trippiest evangelism I've ever done. But just anyway, conversations opened up, and we're talking about the gospel, and we're talking about Jesus, and I'm in, and I was like, God, I don't want to be talking about you right now, like. <laughs> I don't want to be talking at all. I just want to get out of here. And like, and these guys are asking me all these questions. And then they know like, oh, City Impact Church. Oh, yeah, actually, we really want to go there. And I'm like, don't go to City Impact Church. Go to Catalyst Church. Like, you know, like. <laughs> so there you go. I'm getting the word out there for Catalyst. But like, it's never when it's convenient, right? But we've just got to be ready, like, right? I was literally laying on the altar that day, but we've got to be. <laughs> I can't believe I brought this up, but right, right when I was praying. <laughs> Don't feel. Um, oh, praise God. But self is a drug that overpromises and underdelivers, and I've I've been there. I've tried to live for self, having been brought up in the church, and I was like, man, this isn't doing it for me. And I'm like, I'm going to live for self now. And I did my stint, you know, and I was way emptier. When I met Jesus for real, that's when I felt actually the most purpose in my life. And that was actually as a 20-year-old when I really had my proper conversion, you know. And uh, I just think self kind of hooks us and keeps us. It, it keeps us in this trap that never truly gives us the high that it promises, you know. And so I feel like actually life should be more about people, other people not just so obsessed with what other people have, but let's be obsessed with other people. And I think only then when we live for others will we start to experience that pure and unrestrained joy that I'll never forget seeing in those kids' faces in India, you know? Wow. Lord God, I thank you again as I bring it back to you. Lord, the uh, opportunity to share your word this morning. Lord, I pray for every person here in this room as I know that Pastor Andy and Bianca, they sort of, always make it about you they never let a service go by where we don't give people an opportunity to get right with god and so in this moment i think like the best way to die for self is to is to live for jesus and you said lord god that if you just lay down your life you'll find life the life that you're looking for i'm just asking this everybody here in this room you might have been here for a while you, you know you might have come here today for the first time or you might have gone to churches before. I don't know. You, this might be really new for you, this kind of stuff. But I think that perhaps if you were to really look into your heart, yeah, that's right. you'd go, man, actually, my life is empty. There's this emptiness that you relate to living for just self. Like, is there, there, you've thought, is there more to life than this? There must be more to life than just setting my family up or, or you know, just you know, having a mortgage, and, you know, and, and trying to crack the, climb this career ladder or, you know, going on holidays every now and then and, you know, and, and, and being entertained, like, that's so empty. Yeah, there is more to life. And it starts when you just go, man, actually, I'm not here for me, but I'm here for Jesus. Jesus will, the Bible says, like, he's knocking on the door of your heart right now. Perhaps you don't know God, you don't know Jesus. You haven't experienced what it feels like, what life is like. I don't want to make this about feelings, but what life is like when Jesus comes into your heart and fulfills those things that you've been searching for, gives you purpose, gives you meaning, gives you life. The Bible says he is the way. Man, we're all looking for the way. He is the truth. Man, we're all looking for what is true. And he is the life. He is what we're all searching for, that that real life situation. Like, if there's anybody here this morning, you go, yeah, I need Jesus. I just, I just, I can't do this myself. I'm broken. I'm empty. Then right now in this moment, you can meet Jesus. And if there's anybody here, you know, either as the first time or as a recommitment, it's great because I can just come in here. I don't know anybody, so I'm just going to labor on this. But if there's anybody here this morning, you go, I'd like to get right with God for real. I sat in church for probably... 10 years of just phoning in Christianity before I really took it seriously and did it for real. So it's possible to be in church. It's possible to be in the presence of God 
but not really be abiding in the vine, not really be in his presence, you know? And if there's anybody here this morning go, yeah, that's, I just need to, maybe it's time for me to start taking this for real. Maybe you need to come back home. You've walked away from God in your heart. Or perhaps you just actually need to meet Jesus for the first time. Just give me a little wave and I'll give you a Bible. I'm sure we've got a Bible here or something. We'll pray for you. Is there anybody here? Just like look up at me and give me a wave. Otherwise, that's, that's awesome. Well, Lord God, I thank you for every person here. And Andy and Bianca have said that if there's anyone that would like prayer at the end, like for me to offer that, I would love to pray for people. Obviously, we all at least believe in Jesus. And that's, that's, that's wonderful, right? That's the beginning. But it can be hard to break free from the emptiness of living for self. It's kind of a, that's why he says, lay your lives down on the altar daily. And so if there's anybody here and you kind of, you know, it resonates what I was talking about, this kind of, this emptiness. Man, I get it sometimes. And I go, ah. You know those moments when you're like, you binge some TV show or whatever. And I'm not dissing on entertainment like, you know, you do you. But but I always think, man, I'm going to get more out of this moment for myself. And then I feel empty after. And then those times when you have to kind of, you have to kind of, train yourself like, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to spend some time reading the word or I'm going to spend some time in prayer. And so usually it's more of a battle to do it. But then afterwards, you know, you're like, wow, these are the moments that actually fill me. These are the moments where I feel like I have purpose and meaning to live. Like it comes down to those moments daily, that fight between doing what is empty and being empty versus doing something that is for others or for even for Jesus, you know. So if there's anybody here you want to, you want me to pray for helping you to break free that emptiness of living for self. And then because I kind of touched on oppression and idols and what like things like that, you kind of recognize in your heart, you want to be free from sort of oppression or in your mind. I think in the West, our oppression isn't necessarily governmental or religious, but it's like oppression in our minds, you know, mental health struggles or things in your heart, constantly comparing yourself to others. Perhaps you struggle with depression or anxiety or unworthiness or even suicidal thoughts. Like, I'm believing for breakthrough this morning. So if you want prayer for that or for any reason, it would be my honor to pray for you this morning.